A long time ago, uh, I heard a, a saying, um, actually a quote about chess and about life. And it goes like this. As in chess, once the game is ended, then all the pieces are confusedly tumbled into a bag. Even so is it with us in this life. The world is a huge theater or stage wherein some play the parts of kings, others common soldiers. But when our Lord shall come with his angels to judge the world, all are alike. Today we're going to talk about the king of kings. We've actually been going through a a series uh, on the minor prophets. And so today is the book of Zechariah. And it includes the prediction when uh, the king would come and he would actually enter Jerusalem uh, and set all things right. And so today's message is called Long Live the King. And our three points today are going to be visions, arrival, and fulfillment. So if you're not sure where the book of Zechariah is and you have a Bible with you, uh, uh, it's, uh, if you find the book of Matthew, it's just a few books before then, okay? And otherwise, you could use the table of contents, all right? But again, our title today is Long Live the King, and our three points are visions, arrival, and fulfillment. So let's pray together. Let's see what God has for us. Dear Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you, God, in all things. You're faithful. Lord, a long time ago, you gave a message to Zechariah, uh, your faithful prophet. uh, And he was faithful to to write these things down and to proclaim them to the nation of Israel, Lord. And today, uh, these words come to us. And I pray, Father, each one of us would hear you speaking to our hearts. God, help us understand this message about the king who actually has come and will come again. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Okay, so our first point today is visions. And here's the idea that God spoke to Zechariah. And he did so in a series of visions uh, or dreams. And uh, and when he uh, gave him those visions, um, he actually makes and repeats a conditional offer. So like most of the uh, minor prophets, um, it begins with God pronouncing judgment or making reference to Israel's sinfulness. So the very first few words even start out with some bad news. So Zechariah chapter 1 verse 2 says this, The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Then he says this in verse 3, Therefore say to them, Thus declares the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. So you see right there in those verses, there's a conditional offer. And you'll see this theme if you read, and I encourage you to read the entire book of Zechariah. It's 14 chapters. But the first eight chapters, um, uh, you'll see this theme of this conditional offer and different conditional offers that God offers to Israel. Uh, I mentioned that there's a series of nine visions. And today, uh, right here, we're just going to cover three of those nine visions. So the first one has to do with a high priest. The second one has to do with a king. And the third one combines those two ideas and talks about a high priest and king. So the first vision 
has to do with a prophet named named uh, I'm sorry with a high priest named Joshua and just so uh, no one gets confused here it's not the same Joshua from the story of Joshua when they attacked Jericho and the walls came down it's not that one this this is much later uh, this was actually a contemporary of the prophet Zechariah and he was a high priest and his name happened to be Joshua so here we go in Zechariah 3 verse 1 it says this, then he showed me Joshua, the high priest. Verse three. Now, Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him, he said, behold, I have taken away your iniquity away from you and I will clothe you with pure vestments. OK, so this is the first uh, vision or, or dream that we're talking about. And it mentions in verse 3 that this high priest, this Joshua, in this dream, uh, was clothed with filthy garments. So those filthy garments actually represented Israel's sin. But then in verse 4, it says this, Behold, I have taken your iniquity. I will clothe you with pure vestments. So it's a promise from God that God would purify the nation of Israel. God's promise actually is similar to what he does to believers today, right? He removes our sin. He removes that filthiness and he cleanses us. He says, even whiter than snow. Now we go on in Zechariah chapter three, verse six. It says, and the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, thus says the Lord of hosts, if you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house. So here's that conditional offer I was talking about, uh, according to this vision. And to this high priest, Joshua, the conditional offer is this. If you walk with God, then you will rule God's house. And by the way, uh, this also foreshadows the Christ who would come one day, that he would come in the role of high priest. Now, I give you a lot so far. But I want you to keep all that in mind, especially that point that the Christ would come in the role of high priest. Now, let's go on to the second vision. The second vision I mentioned uh, deals with a king and the king's name is Zerubbabel. In fact, uh, he was the rightful king of Israel. So here we go. Um, Zerubbabel is the royal heir to uh, the throne of David. And it says in Zechariah chapter four, verse six. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. Verse 8, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also complete it. So, the conditional part is in verse 6, when, when the Lord tells him, Not by might or by power, but by my spirit. So that's the condition. And then he says in verse 9 that the hands of Zerubbabel, the rightful king, that he had laid the foundation and that he would complete the work that God was calling to. So when you tie that idea together, the idea is this. If the king, Zerubbabel, depends on the Holy Spirit, that's the condition. If he would do that, then the kingdom would be rebuilt. But also, I want you to know this about this vision, that it foreshadows the Christ coming in the role of king. So we're going to go on to our third vision. And this one, it combines the idea of the high priest 
and the king. And that there would be a Messiah, a promised one, uh, the Christ, the Holy One of Israel. That he would come in the role of priest and king. So when Zechariah chapter 6 verse 9, it says, And the word of the Lord came to me, verse 11, Take from them silver and gold and make a crown, watch this, and set it on the head of Joshua, the high priest. Isn't that an odd thing? Look at that, y'all. Make a crown and set it on the head of Joshua, the high priest. It's combining the picture, right, of priest and king. Verse 12, and say to him, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, verse 13, it is he who shall build the temple of the Lord and shall bear royal honor and shall sit and rule on his throne. And there shall be a priest on his throne. So like I said, it's an odd thing that in this vision, this crown is placed on the high priest. Uh, and it ties the three visions together. Okay, It predicts a coming priest. It predicts a coming king. And in fact, what it's letting the people know is that he would be one and the same. That when he came, when that Messiah came, he would be both priest and king. Uh, this promise, by the way, was unconditional. Okay, The Christ was going to come regardless uh, of how anybody, what anybody did. Uh, it was an unconditional promise of God that the Christ would come. Now, Israel didn't understand it fully, but they stayed on the lookout for this one, this holy one of Israel that would come according to these visions. Now, when I think about visions and dreams, uh, I have a good friend of mine, uh, and he has vivid nightmares. And he has some great stories. Uh, in fact, not only has he had nightmares, but he actually sleepwalks uh, during these nightmares. So uh, one of the stories he told us is that uh, he woke up in the middle of the night screaming and wide-eyed, and he's screaming about snakes on the floor, okay? Well, his wife wakes up and hears him, and she, and she says, what? What's wrong? What's wrong? And the thing is, uh, she doesn't always know he's having a nightmare, right? Because he's wide-eyed. I mean, his eyes are wide open, and he's screaming. And he's saying, he's saying, don't get on the floor. Don't get on the floor. There's snakes all over the floor. And she's looking. I mean, that... I mean, imagine, right, ladies, that would scare you in the middle of the night. And you'd look around, you know, but she didn't see any snakes. But then on top of that, he goes running out the room. Well, now she's got to follow him because, you know, we don't want him running around outside in his boxers, right? <laughs> and so so she chases him through the house. And it was easy to to, uh, to follow him because she could hear him screaming the whole time. And he ended up in the laundry room. That's where, that's where she found him. And he was on top of the uh, washing machine screaming about the snakes on the floor. Now, that's pretty vivid. Back here with Zechariah, God gave Zechariah specific uh, dreams or visions and... Uh, Combining the thought that one day a high priest would come. One day a king would come. And in fact, it would be the same person in the role of high priest and king. Which brings us to our second point today. That one day he actually arrived. And uh, the prophecy came true. The king actually made a grand appearance in the capital city of Israel in Jerusalem. So first, let's look at the prediction that is written in Zechariah long before Jesus ever came. So in Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9 we read this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous 
and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So let's break down that prediction. Okay, first it mentions this. It says, behold, your king is coming. So God was promising a king long before Jesus ever set foot on the earth. Then it says this, that righteous, uh, he was righteous and having salvation. So the idea is he was coming to offer righteousness and forgiveness. He was coming to offer freedom from sin. Um, a cleansing, in fact, if you think about that first vision about about when the high priest was wearing the dirty clothing and how uh, they removed that and and and, uh, and he became clean. It's that same idea. Um, he was coming to offer a relationship with God. He was coming to offer salvation in the role of high priest. But it also mentions this in that verse. It says he is humble and mounted on a donkey. Now that should have tipped him off that he was not coming for his own glory. Hundreds of years later, on the first Palm Sunday in 29 AD, the promise was fulfilled. How did the people respond when their king arrived? Well, Matthew wrote about it. He wrote about it in chapter 21, verse 8. We'll read this. It says, Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Now, back in those days, there was a tradition that uh, to welcome either a god or uh, a, a conquering general, uh, you know, some kind of hero, that people would spread their clothing uh, on the street to welcome them. So, in fact, when Christ came, uh, the people gave him a welcome that was fit for a god or a king or a conquering hero. But Luke writes about it as well. So let's look at his perspective. In Luke chapter 19, verse 37, it says this. And he was drawing near. The whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that had uh, that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some people were recognizing the king. They were recognizing the fulfillment of the prophecy. The apostle John wrote about it as well. He wrote about this, uh, John chapter 12, beginning verse 13. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. At long last, the promise was fulfilled. Have you ever wondered... Why Jesus rode into town on a donkey. You ever wondered about that? So uh, there's at least two reasons. The first one is this. Is by riding that donkey. He was claiming to be the fulfillment of long ago from the book of Zechariah. Right? Because in Zechariah 9 as we read a little while ago. uh, It was prophesied specifically that the king would come riding on a donkey. So number one. He was claiming to be that king. But the second reason is this, is that back in those days, uh, uh, the Middle East, they had a, a, another tradition. And this is, this is what would happen, is when a leader went out to war, he would ride a war horse. But if a leader came in peace, guess what he rode on? He rode on either a donkey 
or a mule. Now, um, uh, a little example of this, okay? When King David announced that King Solomon was going to succeed his throne and, and become the next king, um, let's read about that, about but what, what they actually did and how they, they went about declaring that Solomon would be the next king. We find this in the book of 1 Kings chapter 1. Uh, and it says this beginning at verse 33. And the king, this is David speaking. The king said to them, take with you the servants of your Lord and have Solomon, my son, ride on my own mule. And bring him down to Gihon and let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet there anoint him king over Israel then blow the trumpet and say long live king Solomon okay now let's tie some ideas together all right king David would often ride his war horse okay and king David's reign was associated uh with war um he uh, uh in fact specifically it talks about like blood on his hands sometimes so king David um, you know, you remember fighting Goliath, but actually it was ascribed to him that he had killed tens of thousands. And that's why when he had the idea of building a temple for Almighty God, that God told him he couldn't because his hands were stained with blood. He had been uh, a, a king of war and Israel was at war at the time. But king Solomon, uh, in this specific example, rode a mule King Solomon's reign as king is associated with peace. The enemies had already been vanquished. And that's why King Solomon could build that temple for Almighty God. When Christ came in fulfillment of the prophecy, he could ride into town on that donkey, claiming to be the fulfillment of the prophecy that he was the king, the rightful king and high priest, but also He was coming in peace. He was coming to offer peace with Almighty God. Now, the king has come once. And the first time he came, he came as a suffering servant. But he is our hope and our answer. Uh, He made many amazing things possible uh, through the cross and resurrection. Forgiveness of sins, access to the Father, a relationship with God, eternal life, And peace with God. Now, here's the thing. Christ's offer is a conditional offer. If you have trusted the Savior. So I want to talk a little bit about faith alone in Christ alone. Sometimes you'll hear the phrase saving faith. And what I want to explain about saving faith is this. Is that it includes three ingredients. Understanding, belief, and trust. I've used this example before, in fact, a million times with young people and, and in church, sometimes even with, with, uh, with hospice patients, when I'm trying to explain to them about saving faith, that it includes understanding, belief, and trust. So maybe you've heard this before. Uh, we're on a ship, and three men fall into the water, and none of them know how to swim. So we throw them each a life preserver. The first guy does not understand How a life preserver works. And so he keeps fighting the water. What happens to him? He drowns. The second guy understands how a life preserver works. But he doesn't believe it can save his life. So he keeps fighting the water. What happens to him? He drowns. The third man. 
He understands how a life preserver works. He fully believes it can save his life. But he does not reach out and put his trust in the life preserver. Instead, he keeps fighting the water. So what happens to him? He drowns as well. There are people in church and maybe maybe there's someone in the room today. Maybe there's more than one person in the room today or listening online where you're just like that third person. Where you understand that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose again from the dead. And you believe that he truly is the savior. But when it comes to trust, you're still trusting in your own works or you're trusting in church you're trusting in religion. You're trusting in something else besides the Savior, besides Christ and Christ alone to save you. The life preserver, right, that God has offered, his name is Jesus Christ. He died for our sins and he rose from the dead. And the conditional offer is this. Have you trusted in him and him alone for salvation? Because understanding and belief it's not enough, y'all. Are you actually trusting in him and him alone to save you? Because that makes all the difference. He is the savior and he is our only hope. Which brings us to our third point, fulfillment. The last few chapters of the book of Zechariah talk about the future when the king will return. So Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. The passage continues, if you read chapter 12, it continues talking about uh, great mourning and crying out in grief. Um, here's the phrase I wanted to point out, though. It, it's underlined up there. When they look on me, on him whom they have pierced. Do you know that Jesus still bears the scars? Do you ever just, just think about that? What that moment, that first moment when you see Jesus is going to be like? Because if you ponder that thought for a while, you realize there's going to be a moment when you're going to see his eyes for the first time. But you're also going to see his scars. And when he comes up to you. Sorry. And you have that first hug. From Christ. I mean, you're going to see those holes in his hands. I mean, what an awesome moment that's going to be. In Zechariah 13, verse 1, it says this. On that day, there shall be a fountain open for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. Remember that promise? Remember the dirty clothes? Okay. God always keeps his promises. Zechariah 13, 6 says this. And if one asks him, what are these wounds on your back? He will say, the wounds I received in the house of my friends. 
That right there may be the saddest verse in the entire word of God. The wounds I receive in the house of my friends. Have you ever doubted that Jesus loves you? And if you ever doubt it, go back, memorize this verse. He suffered and died and paid a price on our behalf to demonstrate how much he loves us. I have three thoughts that should guide us every day. This is our application. So number one, the Savior has come. Number two, he will return one day as conquering king. Number three is a question. What prevents me from surrendering completely to him? I want to give you a moment to consider what you've heard today. And then I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to sing uh, to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But take a moment now and consider what you've heard. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your love for us. Lord, help us remember that you really are almighty. Lord, also help us remember your scars. Lord, I pray as your people, we would love you more and we would serve you. We really would serve uh, our King and Savior. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.